Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Career Move Secrets. Today's guest is Don Leslie. Don is an extremely well-known person in the management consultancy space, particularly as a headhunter and the owner of BLT, a specialist recruitment business that he founded and ran for nearly 30 years. Today, Don is, I guess, semi-retired, but he's also a management consultant, uh, consulting career strategist and a regular speaker at business schools across the world. Hi, Don. How are you? Hi there, Tony. Very well. Thank you. Excellent. How, how do you find yourself or where do you find yourself today? You've, you've got a, is it a Lothian lilt? I don't know if, uh, if I would describe it as that. Oh, You're very obviously, good. Yes. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Yes. Central Scotland uh, I'm from, but today I'm speaking to you from my spare bedroom in gritty North London. Ah, right. A bit more gritty. Yes, of course. The hotbed <laughs> of, uh, of management consulting. How, how, yeah. is, uh, how is London? Are you going in and out at the centre or are you very much staying to your, your areas? Yeah, I'm staying in my little bubble. I live in Islington, so there's a lot around me anyway to keep me amused. The restaurants are opening up again. Not the theatres or the cinemas, but um, little parks. And um, yeah, I'm I'm managing to find things to do to keep me away from Netflix. (laughs) I'm sure sure you'll find plenty. Don, obviously, I've come across you in the past because you you are actually quite a well-known figure in in, in the space. And I've come across you many, many times. Uh, But of course, my guests or my audience rather will probably not have have come across you in the same way. Could could you give me the sort of potted history, if you like, of your career? Yeah, sure. Uh, University in Scotland, in Edinburgh, Mm -hmm. and this is in the mid-1970s. Now, at that time, business wasn't a particularly hot topic for for, for students, the opposite, in fact. Um, But I always like to go the opposite way from most people. Mm -hmm. And I, I joined a student society in Edinburgh, which really changed the way I look at the world and open up a whole new range of opportunities for me. It was a society that was promoting business awareness among students, so not at all fashionable in the mid-1970s. I stood for and was elected president of the British branch of this, and in order to run the branch, I had to raise money from the great and the good business people in London, and it taught me how to engage with people who were 20, 30, 40 years older than I was, and persuade them to support the student organisation. So after doing that sabbatical year, I went out to South Africa and I joined what was at the time one of the big 10 accountancy firms out there to to work 
as a, a sort of trainee for a year, but also at the same time to promote the student organization in South Africa. So out there, I met the great and the good uh, uh, in, in South African government and the South African opposition and the, and the, uh, the business people there. Um, so at the end of that year, I came back to the UK and joined another Big Ten accountancy firm. And lunchtime on my day, on day one, I realized I'd made the wrong decision. Accountancy, not really for me. So I went out and bought a newspaper and started to look through the situations vacant. And I saw an ad that said, are you bored with accountancy? And three hours into that, I said, yes. And it turned out to be an advert for recruiters. And I'd actually already stumbled across and had conversations with recruitment agencies and headhunters uh, during my sabbatical years. So I got involved in recruitment and met a couple of people along the way working for the, the, the same organization that I grew to, to like and trust. And eventually, after a few false starts, we decided we'd launch out on our own and try and specialize in areas that weren't being covered by other recruiters. And the area that I alighted on was management consultancy because I'd seen management consultancy become a strong area for the accountancy firms as they reduced in size from the big 10 to the big six to the, now we have the big four, an increasingly important earnings area. So that was the foundation for our uh, recruitment business. And I tried to find even within management consultancy, little niches that weren't being uh, served by any other. So 30 years later, the end of, of, of all that, uh, I decided I would step down, pass on the business uh, to the junior partners in the company retired on a Friday and over the weekend thought, no, I have this Protestant work ethic. I need, I need to go out and do some more work. So I thought, what can I do? I can advise people who want to become management consultants and saw there was a gap in the market. Again, looking for, for the road less traveled, a uh, gap in the market for people to advise MBA students at business school on how to get into management consultancy. And I've been doing that for nearly five years now um, I say it's, it's a part-time job. I describe myself as semi-retired, but actually I enjoy it so much I um, try and take as many waking, waking hours as possible to get involved in, in this area. Um, go out, not in COVID-19 times, of course, but go out and, and actually speak at uh, universities and business schools, which I really enjoy doing, and researching the industry and, and coaching people uh, who want to make a go of it. So this is me. Um, now, uh, it, it, enjoying retirement and doing things that keep me away from uh, Netflix and uh, the red wine before lunchtime. <laughs> yes, you, you do have to stay busy. I'd imagine there's a few people hit the red wine before lunchtime during these COVID times as they've been at <laughs> home. Yeah, I, <laughs> you've got to. Uh, you've definitely got to have some focus, haven't you? If you want to, if you want to remain happy and healthy uh, in sure. that way. So you, you've obviously got an enormous wealth of, of, of experience in uh, recruitment, specifically in the sort of professional services management consultancy space. And you're now lecturing, I guess, or, or, or teaching, advising some of the, the people who are coming out of business schools who perhaps aren't as experienced you know, in, the, in the world of work uh, or certainly not as experienced in finding their next role as you are. What are you mm. generally saying to them? What's, what's your, you know, I, this is something that I obviously do as well. So I'm always interested to know whether people have different views to, to mine or the same. What, what do you generally uh, advise people who are looking for, for their next senior role? 
Right. Well, the, the students, the MBAs that I engage with, I always say to them, look, you're really lucky people. You've got a whole range of opportunities out there that you could look at. You could be an investment banker. You could set up your own business. You could join a big corporate or you could become a management consultant. And then I go on to evangelize for the consulting sector. But it's really, I think... It's about thinking where you're going to be in the longer term mm. and then to try and work backwards from that and look at the steps that you need to take to get there. Um, you know, if your intention is to be the CEO of a pharmaceuticals company in 20 years' time and you're interested in consultancy, I always recommend going and joining a consultancy that will specialise in the pharmaceuticals industry because mm. there you'll see all the issues in the pharmaceuticals industry, the problems around marketing, trade marketing, regulations and so forth. Uh, you'll meet all the movers and shakers and you will establish a network of contacts that will enable you when the time is right to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm leaving consultancy. I want to get into the pharma industry now. Can we have a conversation? So it's all about building up those networks, I think, so that's, that's the, the important thing. Yes. Well, and there's, and there's the first point. So this is, this is, again, probably, you know, in terms of most of the, of the conversations I've had in this podcast with CEOs, recruiters, uh, and, you know, even people who've just had great careers has been network, you know, network and the building of the network as quickly as possible. And, and as, I, I guess, you know, yes, you can have a broad network and it's always good to have a broad network, but you must also identify your direction of travel and try and build a rich network in a, in a, in a vein or a stream or a niche that that's going to be helpful for you in the long term. How, how mm. do you then, once you've got that, or once you start to develop that network, is it the network for you that is the, um, you know, the facilitator of the next role or what do you think about online job ads and, and, you know, the trawling or thereof, is that effective these days in your view? It's not effective. And just as uh, back uh, in the old days before we had social media, uh, we always used to say that in recruitment, uh, 70% of jobs are not advertised. Mm. You've got to go and, and dig them out. You've got to find them yourself. I think it's, this is the same case now, even though it does seem to be much easier to find opportunities and the web is full of job adverts. Actually, all that means is that there will be tens of thousands of more people applying for those jobs uh, than there would have been 30 years ago when it was maybe only 100 people applying to a, a job that was advertised in the newspapers. So it comes back to, 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 to using the network, um, or it doesn't even have to be the network that you've established, but using the, the same techniques to develop a network, to develop conversations with people who might be able to point you in the right direction, help you get into your next job. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, I always say it's, it's never been easier, has it? You know, this, this sort of the internet age of, of recruitment, which, you know, I, I, I sort of joined recruitment year 2000 dish or just it was like 1999 and it very quickly moved from, you know, we used to just advertise in national press as you, as we all did. And you, you did just get like a hundred, maybe 200 applications. Then it all went online. And of course the job boards grew and every company had its own um, its own sort of careers page, and there's a lot of duplication out there. There's a lot of you know, fr frankly, fake jobs. But there's it's never been easier to just go online, search, click, and apply, and you think you're being busy and you're going you're being productive. But you know, I think the odds, you know, the odds pre-COVID were 250 to one. You know, every 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 sort of online job, on average was attracting 250 people i'm guessing it's probably double that right now because of you know we've moved from a sort of buyer's market 
uh, sorry, a seller's market to a buyer's market in many ways. Um, it's, it's, it really isn't. I do try and get this across to people. It's, it's, it's not the most effective strategy to mm. certainly not the one that you should be using on its own. Um, because oh, you could be really, agree. really disappointed. Um, all the time agree. yeah i had a conversation with somebody just the other month who was asking me for advice they, just, they said i've sent out 200 applications mm. in the last few weeks and i haven't had anybody responding at all and the problem was of course you were just responding to advertisements on the web um and sending out 200 applications rather than taking the time to to hone them, the, the 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 applications to make them more appropriate for the the role in question. It was the same CV all the time, so you know, we had to start from first principles mm-hmm. and uh, explain to him why the, the volume uh, of sending out CVs j- just doesn't work in this market. It really doesn't work in any market. You've got to be much more targeted in your approach. And start to look at people who start to look for people who can maybe not give you a job, but can help you direct you towards a job. Absolutely, it's not it's not like the lottery, is it? It's not like the more tickets you buy, the the better your odds. It's it's really a, a it's always a quality over quantity uh, mm. situation. So when you when you when you do then sort of reach out to your network as opposed to perhaps you know spending all your time applying online, what are the things that you think? Um, that you need to do? What are the sort of stages of, of, of development of that uh, opportunity? Yeah, well, first of all, you need to establish the relationship and it's always better to try and approach someone who has some sort of overlapping background or interest or, or shared experience with you. So I'm a great fan of using university alumni books. Could go to the career service of, if you went to university or college, they're bound to have records of where the students have gone on to. So mm. see if you can get access to that and start off by contacting people who were at your university. It doesn't have to be an overlapping uh, time that you were there. They might have graduated five years before you joined. But nevertheless, you have that shared experience of that university. So they're much more likely to give you some time on the phone if, when you pick up and talk to them and say, hey, you don't know me, but you and I both have a shared background at Edinburgh University, uh, would you mind if I just asked you a couple of questions? Mm. And uh, that's usually the way where they will, by saying that, they will be warmer to you than just really what might be considered a cold call. So I would encourage people to think about any overlapping experience that they might be able to talk about when they're researching an organisation that they want to go and work for to find the people inside that organisation that they could talk to who are likely to be more warm to them uh, when, when when you pick up the telephone. And I emphasise picking up the telephone rather than yes. sending an email or just putting a, a connection request through on LinkedIn. I mean, you can do that, but it's easy for people to ignore these. Mm. It's much better to pick up the phone and, 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 and engage in a conversation. And you've got to have a, a sort of opening 15-second pitch mm. to tell people why they should be interested in you. So you know, I would always advise telling them what the connection is, telling them that you're only going to take two minutes of their time and telling them that you've only got a couple of questions to ask about X and you go on from there. And of course, you hope you can develop it to be more than a two-minute telephone call and have subsequent conversations with them. But that's the opening bit, rather than just sending blindly an email and hoping for a response. 
Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Asking for help, it's amazing, isn't it? If you ask questions, you know, people people almost pre-programmed to want to respond to questions you know it's it, it is obviously it's a marketing point that that, that uh, is used wildly widely on the internet and other places but if you if you are direct and you ask somebody who knows more than you to, to share some of their knowledge um particularly in the right way people people react really well to that rather than you know here i am i want a job you've you mm. you you really do need to start it in a in a from a position of being inquisitive as opposed to making any sort of demands um and and i agree with you about picking the phone up you know it's it's a lost art isn't it i think probably you and i done were, were from from the days where the phone was was king and you used the phone much more than you did uh, the the email you, you can just it's much more interactive isn't it than than uh, than the written word which even via email just just seems to be clunky and takes too long. Indeed, indeed. And even if you don't have a, a an old university or, or, or college alumni book to go through, I think it's always always keep in mind that whoever you meet, ask them the question about mm. who do you know that might be able to introduce me to somebody at X. Um, so if you're in your local community, who are the um, the movers and shakers, the prominent people in your local community? You know, it could be uh, a member of your, of, of your local church, or it could be a local firm of solicitors, or a local firm of accountants. It could be your 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 town council. Anybody in an organisation, sorry, in, anybody in, in a community who's placed well placed to know about other members of that community. Again, that's the place to start with your your inquiries. Yes, it's proper network, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, yeah. you, you, one connection leads to another, and I, I guess you know, in terms of sort of your direction of travel, which we were talking about earlier, and we also have, have mentioned niches. If if you know where you're heading, it's so much easier to get there, isn't it? If if you've sort of done the the pre thinking of here's, I'm always saying to people, look, you know, target organisations. Target a sector if that's what you want to do, if you want to work in that sector, and that might be because you see that sector as being a growth sector or whatever it is, and then target and understand the businesses that operate in that sector. And then you've got to you know, move from researching those uh, individual companies, finding out more about them, to researching the people that work there. And in a way, part of the, the advantage of this generation uh, of job seekers is is LinkedIn and things like that, where we mm. didn't have that. You really had to actually mm. have specialist knowledge and build that up in order to research stuff. And, you know, in, in, back in the, in those days, Don, I'm sure, you know, you would have had a research department in your uh, consultancy and I would have had one in mine where, where you had people just doing that. Now, actually it's, it, it you don't need to have uh, all that much resource because, because so much of it is online and on, and a, the vast majority of it down to the individuals is on LinkedIn, which gives you a great ex- advantage if you are uh, tenacious in your research and um, actually, you know, follow through with your, uh, with your connections and your conversations. Um, yeah. do, do you, do you advocate the the, 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 the sort of students using that method as well, or are they sort of plugging in a different way? No, no, I, I advocate that that that, that approach to, to, to everyone, um, and it's maybe not quite so helpful uh, for me to say this in the current situation we find ourselves, COVID nineteen. Mm. But you want to start thinking about what your next move is before you even make the first move. People, you, uh, 
So by that I mean start to research as soon as you can the areas in which, which are going to be of interest to you and the companies in that area. And it doesn't matter if you're not going to be applying uh, for, for jobs in the next six months or the next year. It's you slowly building up a bank of information about the target companies that you would like to work for. Look for mentions of them in the in the professional press, the financial press. Um, try to find people that are working in those organisations and, and keep a, a data bank about in the organisations that are on your target list. I would recommend having perhaps maybe as many as 20 organisations yes. that you have on a long list to th that you are interested in joining and start to be uh, to, to build up sufficient information that you know at the point that you have to say, right, I'm looking for the next job now. You've got people that you you know, you, you've got names of people that you know you can approach uh, to, to help um, uh, you, you make that move. So, for example, get something like Google Alerts mm. or whatever it is you use to, to, to get information about uh, the companies that you're following. Put those names into Google Alerts so you get press releases in, you get um, financial information coming into your inbox all the time. And it's a drip feed of gathering information that you know at some point you're going to be able to put to good use. Yes, I absolutely agree with that as well. I, you know, the sort of 20 companies, which which to me sort of correlate to probably 100 contacts. You know, it's it's much more than going after one person. You you, you can, you, persistence is, is key in this situation. If you can go through a list of, of, of people starting, obviously, at your, your favoured contact, but you might work your way through. Once you can actually get in uh, and have a conversation with an insider, you're you're really often running because the it's the inside knowledge which which uh, separates you know one candidate from another in, in my experience. I also I completely agree with you. Let's say for instance, if you were you had twenty companies and they're roughly in the same sector, by by having more knowledge of competitor organisations to the ones you're going to uh, interview with, you just you bridge that gap of of not being a person in the industry. You already look like a better candidate if you know. Who the competitors are, what they're doing, you, you, it, it really it enriches the, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the knowledge that you have and the relevance you have to that to that company if you know their ten nearest and dearest competitors rather well, and you can converse on that, you know, in terms of, you know, future gazing about the industry and knowing yeah. what's happened in the past. It, it's just it's gold dust. It really is. Yeah, and a common question now at interview is why do you want to work for us? Of course, why yeah. not company X? So you've got to be able to to differentiate between the company that you're talking to right now and the competition and the reason why it's this company that you want to work for rather than the competition. You know, both parties know, of course, you'll be making exactly the same comments to the competition when you go and see them. Mm. But you need to have a coherent explanation as to. To, to why you want to join that particular firm. And the more you know about the competition, the easier it is to come up with that uh, explanation. It is. It's your why, isn't it? And I, I absolutely agree with you. Almost every company will ask, you know, why us? And in a way, they're also asking reflectively, why you? It, and it's, it's, it's so important that you have, a, you know, a really credible answer to that. One that, you know, hopefully speaks of some, you know, interest, maybe even some passion in, in, in what they do and how they mm. do it. And of course, that's where the insider information kicks in because what, instead of just knowing what's on their website, which is the, you know, the catch all piece, 
um, particularly for very large, broad organisations that you know are multifaceted. You know, knowing what the, the the corporate entity is all about is one thing, but knowing what that division does, what that hiring manager is all about, and what his particular service line does, and the reputation that they have as opposed to the wider company, that is where you you demonstrate that you actually understand what they do. Um, and yes. that you're you're worthy of of further interaction, and I think, you know, that's much more of a separator than your your qualifications or even your past experience. Sometimes, if you've if you've got to the interview stage, it's I always say it's a bit like dating. It's it's um, you know you you you've got two sides that have got to show interest in each other, and until they really do and demonstrate that there is uh, some some. Uh, you know, some value or some some longevity to this relationship that you're trying to forge. It just doesn't get off the ground unless you sort of both demonstrate that uh, you're into each other in that uh, mm. in that sort of dating esque way. Uh, Don, you obviously also probably, uh, I, I'm guessing, coach people through the interview process. So, imagining that we've got to that stage, what are the key what are the key sort of pieces that you push with people about the interview process? Um. I think one of the most important things is having a coherent story to tell about how your life has led up to this point where you can be applying for a role with company X. Mm. Uh, So try and uh, weave the strands of your background, no matter how disparate, no matter how many strange and wrong turnings you took over the course of your career, smooth those out into a coherent story. And then think about the qualities that the organisation is wanting to get from you. And as you said a moment ago, it's it's not so much about the uh, professional experience or the the technical knowledge you have. A lot of it is going to be around your interpersonal qualities and the way that you relate to people. Certainly in in the consultancy profession, there are really only four things that the consultancies look for. And I tell the students this. They're looking for your leadership abilities. So have some stories about being a leader and even if uh, uh, you weren't a leader in a team or you haven't had an experience of that, but you, you've seen mistakes that uh, happen in a team and uh, uh, if a team isn't functioning properly, how those uh, how that, that problem was fixed, that's a good story to tell. Or um, another key uh, skill is uh, the consultants want to know about your entrepreneurial activities. Now, that doesn't mean to say you have to have had set up a business before uh, uh, going to business school or going to university and then uh, thinking about consultancy. But it's just the ideas that you can recognise uh, that could be taken from one business area and applied to another that are important. And then problem solving. Organisations are full of problems that need solving and consultants are particularly good at solving those problems. But you've got to be able to show that you've uh, come up against problems in the past and you haven't let them defeat you. You've found a way of going round them or over them or under them, but you've, you, 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 you've got through them. And then the, the final thing is, is a sort of, I would maybe call it charisma. And by that, I don't mean um, you're like Johnny Depp when you walk into the room, everybody turns and looks at you. It's, it's more that you have a, a sense of confidence and assuredness about yourself to be able to carry on a conversation with somebody who might be 10 or 20 or 30 years more experienced than you are. But nevertheless, you can have a peer-to-peer level conversation with them. You can talk confidently, but you can also listen uh, and understand what they're saying. And if necessary, you can 
influence people's direction of conversation to bring things to the area that you want to talk about, that, that you want to, to be able to, sh to um, uh, demonstrate that you've got skills or experience in. Um, so you know, it's a bit like listening to politicians on uh, Radio 4 in the morning. They never seem to answer the, the exact question that they get asked, but they, they turn the conversation to the areas that they want to talk about. And having a skill to be able to do that is, is, is great. It's great. So these are really the four things that my students, my, you know, my, my coaches need to, to think about and work on before they get into the interview. Absolutely. And and they, and they ring true, you know, across all sort of positions in my mind, you know, that, that sort of, yes, it, charisma is a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? But it, it is what people come out of an interview saying, this person had something about them. They, they were able to influence me. They weren't just receiving my questions, uh, you know, in, in a sort of uh, undynamic manner. They were, they were actually involved in a conversation with me and they were able to influence and steer that at times. Mm. And of course, you know, the leadership piece is, 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 is always there, even for, you know, the most junior role, you want people to demonstrate that they have capability beyond, beyond where they're at right now. And of course, any more senior, you, you, you absolutely need to have all of those things. So I, I, I don't know if you share this view, Donis, I think you need to have sort of like you have your career narrative that you were talking about, and I absolutely agree with you. You have to hone that career narrative, uh, and I think it's 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 beneficial that it has ups and downs because that demonstrates that you have overcome things in it during your career, and it's not just been plain sailing for you and you're untested. I think it's good to demonstrate that you've been tested and come through things, but I think you also need to have those sort of similar honed stories for some of those. Um, to demonstrate some of those uh, capabilities, whether it's leadership or uh, whether it's you know uh, your, your sort of understanding the market or whatever it might be, you need to have these these in your sort of career toolkit, um, mm. well well thought through and uh, well re re uh, researched and rehearsed. And if you mm. have that, you 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 are a much better uh, interviewee than the next person. Sure. Yeah, and, and you know, this is these are sorts of things that uh, that exist in my in my course. Funnily enough, it's it's absolutely the way you need to go. Do you have any particular advice for for people in 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 this sort of troubling time, Don? You've you've probably seen more ups and downs than I have. Actually, you've seen probably a few more recessions than I have, and of course, it, it is it's challenging, isn't it? And it's you 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 feel like you're one of very many people chasing very few opportunities. Um, we've talked about a number of ways that I think we 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 sort of get to the get to the the sort of number of things more effectively than than answering um, online adverts. But is, is there anything else that you think is is important during a sort of economic downturn that that job seekers should be doing that maybe focusing more on than they would in other times? Yes, and one of the things to keep in mind is that even though times are tough and it may seem that um, businesses are struggling. Businesses, nevertheless, are always on the lookout for talent. Mm. And at times like this, if good people are being made redundant or being laid off by their competitors, they will be they the, the companies will be looking at people coming out into the market and trying to pick off the good ones. Mm. Uh, they, they may not even be waiting for people to be made redundant. They may go directly to good people in their competitors and try to headhunt them, mm. 
cherry pick them out. So always have that mindset that uh, if you are good and you have a reasonable profile in your market, people should be coming and looking for you, even in bad times. Uh, just as companies at the moment will be looking at markets they could move into yes. because competitors are coming out or or, um, or, or are struggling in those markets. Um, it's not as if, see again, it's not as if the whole world will collapse uh, because of COVID-19. Things will go on, maybe at a slower pace, maybe at a, re- a more reduced pace, but, but life will go on and businesses will still need to hire people. And there is this opportunity at the moment for them to, to, to look at good people in the market and to pick them up, to create opportunity for them, if, if that's going to be right. Absolutely. So uh, recognising that... Um, Things may seem difficult, but are actually not as difficult as you think they are. Don't judge the state of the market by the number of job adverts you see or don't see mm-hmm. uh, on the internet or in the press. Uh, but make sure you get yourself out there and start talking to people and make it known that you are uh, available and interested in working. Uh, absolutely, and yeah, don't, and don't, don't believe everything you read, or yeah, uh, or, or, or take a sort of general view of things, because actually businesses are reacting differently, business to business, even sort of you know group to group within those businesses. It's, it, it, it is a that's one thing I've definitely uh, found from talking to people is is there's a there's a there's a different experience across those those businesses for sure. Mm. Um, and I also think one of the things I think about management consultancy is that they're very good at future gazing and seeing what's happening next and gearing up ready for that. Um, and if you can identify trends and where the, where the market is moving, if you can move into those new areas, you know, demonstrate an interest in those areas, because, you know, particularly in completely new areas, there are no experts, but it's, it's those that are, that have the most knowledge or the best read in those subjects that, that, uh, that, that are, you know, have the first pick of the roles that in these new, uh, new roles and new bits of our economy. And that's, that's definitely something people can do as well. Yeah. Don, look, I really appreciate your time and your candor. And of course, uh, your, your, your advice, and your experience. I really, really, uh, really enjoyed our chat. Thank you very much for joining me. Tony, thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it too. Great. Cheers, Don. All the very best. Take care. Well, I really enjoyed speaking to Don there. Turns out we agree on a great many things. We both think the network is the most important part of your your job search. We both think that you need to identify a target list of companies, 20 or so, and we need to drill down into the contacts in each of those companies to to build out a greater list, um, that you need to approach those people and inquire, uh, ask questions, ask advice to try and gain access to hidden job opportunities. And once you're at the interview stage, that you must have a well-honed career narrative as well as other stories that demonstrate your capabilities and your qualities as Don was suggesting. If you want to learn how to do this step by step then I would recommend that you take my course uh, the full premium course. At the moment it's half price it's $299 and for that you get all 20 secrets. I really take you through this entire process of uh, accessing the hidden job market, of finding opportunities that other people can't find, of then converting those opportunities through great interview techniques into 
opportunities where you will get a job offer and then how you maximize that job offer to make sure that you get the best possible result from your job search. If that sounds interesting to you and you believe that your career is worth investing in, and let's be honest, you ought to think that, uh, then do go to my site, careermovesecrets.com and invest in yourself today. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider subscribing because there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon. 